Hello and welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, episode 152, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story, action-packed show for you this week. We have a guest in Andrew Medina. You can follow him at Drew Near Post. You know him from his work for LAFC and his writing across the world of football. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week, we rallied the entire team from Moon Tower Soccer. You can give them a follow at Moon Tower Soccer. We have Landon Cottom and Jeremiah Bentley, who will be joining us to talk all things Austin FC. You're, of course, listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. You can give us a follow at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. Be sure to like and subscribe. My name is Jonathan Reimer, and joining me this week, none other than Christopher Sines. Good evening, sir. What's going on, Black and Gold family? Happy to be back. We had a less than uh, enthusiastic tie in Colorado, but I digress. We've got CCL this week. We've got Austin. We've got CCL next week. We've got the Galaxy. It's an exciting two-week period. I'm telling you. I tell you. My love of the beautiful game is now thoroughly focused on the outdoor world. The Empire Strikers season has come crashing to a halt. We went from second place in the West to out of the playoffs in one final last week of the season. And for the second year in a row, went from being one of the best teams in the league to missing the playoffs by one point. So on that theme of every point and every game matters, as I have painstakingly seen my team come so desperately close to postseason football back to back years Let's dive into just taking one point on the road at Colorado. LAFC traveled a mile high up and unfortunately were unable to come away with three points. The game ends in somewhat of a listless nil-nil draw. The team looked absolutely gassed. I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, We have a, a rough, rough run of games coming up in front of us. But Chris, what were your reactions to the stalemate in Colorado? I think the altitude played its part. I really do think, you know, and I had mentioned it in the last episode. I wasn't, I don't remember, you know, we really should just start like putting our predictions in. In the in the readouts to see where we're at because like I don't really remember what I said my prediction was I definitely don't ever, I never call ties so I, I definitely didn't call a tie I think I said it was going to be a W but I think I had said that it was going to be three zero victory but uh, you know I think that LAFC just was you know a little bit tired altitude will do that to you especially you know if you go and play and you're trying to play a match where you need to have your endurance and stamina and you're going out and you're flying and playing at a mile high, like it definitely, there's not a lot of time for acclimation too. When you look at the LAC's travel schedule, they played on Saturday and I think they traveled on Friday, right? So that that's not enough time for you to acclimate to that kind of environment either. So um, I do think that there was a little bit of the winded fatigue legs and things like that. But overall, I thought that the players that they played well, you know, I don't feel like I looked at anybody and was like, wow, he came out like super duper flat. I think it was just, you know, it was a little hard nosed and fuck game. There were some things about this game structurally that disappointed me. Our inability to play through the midfield got to be a bit tiresome to watch. We kept attempting to float long balls over the top. And I lost track of how many overhit passes we had throughout the course of this game. It was just not one of those days where the ball was flying where we thought it was going to go. And 
when you're attempting to not expend so much energy to constantly have guys try and chase down an overhit ball and not be able to make it to it, I really felt like we kind of ran ourselves out of a lot of really good looking opportunities. We had a great first half. I felt like we were in command of the game throughout the entire first 45 minutes. That final opportunity just did not get executed once again. We had a few shots there in that first half that I really thought we could have sunk and put ourselves into a lead that we could have coasted through. Second half of the game, you really saw that mile-high fatigue set in. Players look winded. A lot of substitutions came in, but we just weren't able to take control of the game. Colorado threw everything in the kitchen sink at us in that second half. We were able to see it out defensively, and the resolute defending was something I was very proud of on the end of the day. That entire back line where the men of the match, for me, really showcased themselves well. Midfield, super congested, very difficult to play through. We were pretty ineffective there and just unable to link up with those guys up top. But again, this is MLS. You do not need to win every game. The end of the season, a supporter shield is great, but we've got two of those. I don't think that's the goal this season. The goal this season is making it into the playoffs in a good seating and making it to the playoffs healthy. You do that by getting three points at home and one on the road. We are still undefeated on the season. We have captured the points that we need to capture. It's hard to look at this game and be disappointed in the result, but it can be a bit befuddling when you look at an opponent that is as woefully poor as Colorado, absolute bottom of the table, and we were unable to get a win. But given the circumstances, given the insane week and a half that we have ahead of us for the black and gold, I'm okay with the result, but non-plessed, I think, would be my description of the game. You know, I think you have to take into consideration, too, you know, when you look at last season and you look at where Seattle was when they were going on their run for the Gonka champions and how they had sacrificed their regular season and how it hurt them later on in the postseason or lack thereof because they didn't get an opportunity to make it. I think that when you look at the three wins, the two ties, that LAFC are still in a very strong place. And when you look at the power rankings, they're still up at the top three, depending on who it is that you're looking at for their ranking. And people understand, you know, LAFC are still a very strong team. They're in a very good place. And this is nothing to be worried about. On the flip side of things, you know, the people that were playing this upcoming weekend, Austin, they are in a very, very different place and people don't understand why they're playing the way they're playing and and they would like to see them be more hopeful. So given the tale of two stories, I'm very content with where we are right now as an LAFC fan. Yeah, look, Seattle ran themselves ragged to try and claim that CCL last year. They ended up piling up a ton of injuries and it cost them any chance at any in-league silverware. So the fact that we're able to play a game where we never really got out of second gear and and not have us come home with zero points, you kind of have to take that in the course of the very, very long, very congested season. The roster, a bit thin, even by the front office's admission, they still think they're a few players away from being over that hump. But it has officially become official, even though we kind of already knew it was official. Mateus Bogush has been signed officially by the Black and Gold. He's going to be joining the team. We've discussed him and his potential within the last course of the two shows preceding this one. So I don't think we need to dive too much into it here. We'll save further thoughts to when he actually starts suiting up in that Black and Gold kit 
when we get to see him out on the pitch. But it's nice to know that that midfield is getting some relief. The emergence of Tillman has been a godsend to this team. But the minutes are starting to pile up for Ilya Sanchez, and we're worried there. So it's nice to know that there's one more midfielder coming in that could be able to spell a little bit of his workload. When it comes to that midfield, you know, Jose Cifuentes has been someone that has not seen a whole lot of minutes. Granted, he was on international duty and things like that. But I would like to believe that, you know, if Ilya Sanchez today, let's say that Ilya Sanchez today needed a break and was not able to start, I think that you could put Kellen Acosta in as the six, and then you would put in Jose Cifuentes to fill in where Kellen Acosta is starting. And so then you have Jose and Tillman as like eights, and then you have Kellen Acosta as your six. I'd be perfectly fine with that. In fact, if, if that's what happens at any point in time through the course of the next, you know, 10, 15 days where we have just an asinine amount of games, like I, I don't think anyone in the community would bat an eye at Ilya Sanchez getting a day off at this point. The guys earned it. My goodness. Speaking of LAFC, LAFC 2 took the field once again down at Titan Stadium. Chris, you were there for this match. I had to take it in from YouTube, which took me a minute to figure out that the game was going to be broadcasted on YouTube as I'm screaming at my Apple TV as to why it's not located on Season Pass, trying to bounce around and find it. I finally figured out it was on YouTube and got to watch the majority of the game. Looks like most of the rest of the games will be featured on Season Pass, but that one definitely threw me for a loop. But hey, we've got our first ever goal in the history of LAFC2. My friend, what did you think taking it all in? It was definitely a good atmosphere. There's a lot of people that had an opportunity to go to the game this past weekend that didn't get a chance to go. The first weekend, there was the Angel City match that was conflicting in terms of schedules of people's abilities to go. You know, again, you know, you come out to these LAFC2 matches and it's, you know, it's fun. It's chill. It's laid back, right? Like that's the vibe, right? Like you're there, you get to see some of these players that one day they're hopefully going to be able to fulfill their dream and play for LAFC at BMO Stadium. You also get an opportunity to see some of our players that are more well-known as the younger players, Eric Duenas, Nathan Ordaz, Tony Leone played. He picked up an injury at uh, halfway through the match. But it's just, you know, it's a chill vibe, you know, and Steve Trenilo was there hanging out, saying hi to a couple fans, Marco Garces. One of the lead for player development was there for the uh, for the club. Who else? Jordan Harvey was there. Rich was there. Uh, you'll never know who is going to be there taking the match in and watching these players perform. So it's, you know, you just want to come out, bring the kids, have a good time. It's it's very cool, very intimate setting. LAFC 2 tied the game one-to-one, but lost. So for those of you who are not familiar with some of those MLS Next Pro rules... Oh, why don't we bring in someone who works for the media team for LAFC2 and have them describe to us how these rules work. Uh, let's go ahead and summon our guest, Mr. Christopher Signs. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this works? So I don't work for the media team. I'm simply just learning on just by hanging around. It, so, interns okay. count, internships count as work. All right. Hey, it's a new millennium. You have to pay interns nowadays, man. I, I'm not. I'm not an intern. So. Okay, just a couple of rules just to help people out. First of all, there are no ties in MLS Next Pro. So the reasoning behind this, I spoke to a gentleman. His name was uh, Jose Ramirez. He sat next to me. He works for MLS Next Pro. And he was saying that they wanted to do this because anybody can take penalty kicks at practice and you can practice you know, the whole process. But when you're actually taking a PK during a match, when it matters, there's a little bit more pressure. It's a different feel. 
So this is an opportunity to see how these players do in a setting like this. It's not every day. And, that let's be it. honest. Let's be honest. We need some work on those PKs. So I, I'm glad that they're getting that work in because we need some work. So no ties. If it ends in a tie, it goes straight to penalty kicks. They do break up the points kind of like in the MASL where the winner of the PKs walks away with two points and the loser walks away with one. But uh, so it's not it's not the full three points like it would be in other scenarios. A couple other rules that I thought were interesting. This is just to kind of help speed up the game and keep the integrity. Injured players. If a player goes down, more often than not, when you watch these matches, you're going to see them pop right back up. If they are staying down on the field for more than 15 seconds and the medical staff has to come out and see them, should that player then be still fit to be able to go back in, they have to wait three minutes from the moment they are declared okay and fit and ready to go back in. They have to wait three minutes before they can go back in. So the team has to play a down a man for three minutes. So you definitely see a lot of players that are taking and they pop right back up and what otherwise might have been a play where you might see a player slowly get up. And another one just to help with uh, another time penalty for substitutions. You know, sometimes there can be players that drag their feet a little bit and wait to get off or they take the long way to get off the pitch. If you don't get off the pitch in 10 seconds, the oncoming player has to wait a whole minute before they get to come on too. Those are some fun rule changes. I kind of like the way that that pans out in the course of a game. I do have some concerns about an injured player trying to force himself to get back up too early in order for his team to avoid having to play down a man for three minutes. I mean, I think there's there's some obvious concern there about what might happen if if that were the case. Also, interestingly, red cards. So if you get a red card, in an MLS next pro game, you don't miss the next game. You miss the next game versus that opponent. So for example, Noah Dolenmeyer gets a red card versus North Texas, but is allowed to play in this last game, the next game for LAFC two, but will miss the next game versus North Texas, which I think is a very unique interpretation of the red card. So getting a red card in a match doesn't mean necessarily you get the next week off. It means that the next time you play that specific team, you get the day off, which is kind of wild. Now, should you actually get a red card and you don't play that opponent again in the regular season, you will serve that red card suspension the next game. Well, it's just mind swimming rules here, but uh, either way, we did get our first ever LAFC two goal. It was none other than I'm going to use a Max Bredos ism and refer to that goal as the Dwayne Yes goal, which uh, I commented uh, to Mr. Dwayne Yes himself, and he very much liked that. So it's uh, that's what I'm referring to that goal as uh, from now until the end of history. The Dwayne Yes goal uh, in honor of both Eric Dwayne Yes who scored the first goal in the history of LAFC2 and our beloved Max Bredos. What'd you think of the goal? Historically, when Eric came up and played with LAFC, he was playing as a wingback. Well, in LAFC2, he's playing as a midfielder. And in that play, the goalie had the ball. Eric came up from the midfield, put in a lot of pressure. The goalie went to his left and uh, Eric was able to, he made a, he made a tackle in the box, got the ball And then the defender came in and I don't know in the tight space that he had, he just turned around, whipped his leg up and it hit the top shelf, man. I don't know how he did it in those tight spaces. It was impressive. And, uh, you know, who better to have it than Eric Duenas and what he's meant to this club. 
it was kind of an indoor goal. I mean, come up, steal the ball from the keeper, fire it top ends. It, it had a lot of indoor vibes to it, but uh, enough indoor talk. We'll save that till next November when we get to get back into the indoor world. But nonetheless, LAFC get a point for tying the game in regulation. They do not get the extra point for winning the shootout, but still first ever point in the history of LAFC too. Again, results are not such a big deal for this team. It's more about development. It's more about getting these players ready. I think, however, what we've seen so far in the performance on the pitch from LAFC2 is that the players whose names we already knew that have gotten call-ups to the senior squad have been the players that have stood out. And the role players on this team really have yet to establish themselves as worthy of that next step. So that's going to be fun to watch as we go throughout the course of the season and seeing which one of these players matures into a player that we could see take that next step. So come on out, Chris, when is the next LAFC2 home game? That would be April 30th at 3.30 at Titan Stadium. And uh, it'll be a good time. You know, it'll definitely be a nice, easier day, midday type of thing. I don't know what anybody else is doing April 30th at 3.30, but uh, that'll be uh, that'll be where I'll be. So we've got about three weeks off of home games. We know they do have a game coming up next weekend that'll be on the road. You can catch that on MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. All right, Chris, that's, that's about all I have for news and notes at the moment. We've got a very, very busy show with a couple guests coming up. Do you have anything else before we go ahead and dive into our next segment, my friend? No, I think that I think that we've covered everything pretty well. All right, folks, we will be back after this break with our guest, Andrew Medina. Catch you on the other side. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Oliver Curry, head kit man for LAFC, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, welcome back to our next segment here at LAFC S2S. We are back with another guest that we have had on our show. Big shout out to having him back, Mr. Andrew Medina at Drew underscore near underscore post on Instagram. If you want to hear Andrew Medina's original episode where we interviewed him, that was episode 53. And that was back in January 29th of 2020. That was right before the pandemic and everything shut down. Andrew, (laughs) man, thank you very much for coming back on, dude. Really happy to have you back. Yeah, man. Stoked to be here. It's just funny you mentioned the date and little did we know what was going to happen, right? I had just... Got hired at LAFC on the back of working for in soccer media for a while, doing all this cool stuff, working at LAFC and then the pandemic. We were going to Leon, doing all this cool stuff, and then the pandemic hits and boom, you know, our life changes. But yeah, good times. Absolutely. So, you know, with that, you know, give us a little bit of an update, you know, what happened from the time that, you know, you had gotten let go from LAFC due to the layoffs and things like that. What's been going on in your life? Uh, oh, Wow. So I got hired at LAFC pretty much right after the new year, 2020, January. That's when I started working. We were playing Leon in Champions League. So that was a big thing. We had the Peñarol game. We were still playing the Peñarol friendlies and stuff like that. We had the big match when Leon came back and we did the whole Kobe TIFO. I was out there like eight in the morning, setting up all the placards, the eight and the 24 in the three, two, five, two. I was there all morning doing that whole thing. So if you can kind of remember back to that, Probably one of the greatest sporting experiences I've ever been to that game when we came back and beat Leon. It was just incredible. Also going to Leon that March, marching into the stadium, experiencing a game with LAFC um, at, uh, in Mexico. It was just unbelievable, obviously. But um, anyway, ended up working a little bit into the pandemic till about July, got laid off in July of that year. 
And I come from uh, soccer media. So I always did soccer media stuff on the side as like a passion. So I would do everything from like shooting documentaries to hosting podcasts to writing articles, doing events. And we worked with like Real Madrid, with Manchester City, with Dortmund, with Nike, Adidas, all over the world. Very lucky to be able to do that. So the way I supplemented that was through bartending and through working with liquor companies. I had been in the hospitality industry for 12 years now at this point. So um, I became a brand ambassador for different uh, liquor companies, for a mezcal company, for St. Germain underneath Bacardi, for some pretty big brands that I was able to work for. And they were part-time, so I was able to do the soccer stuff on the side. So basically, once I got let go from LAFC, I went back to what I knew, what I was able to do. I started delivering weed also on the side. So that was kind of something that opened up for me because at that time, it was like, it was really, it was really such a weird time. It was just like, what can you do to, I wasn't thinking about anything creative at that point. I was trying to just make money and go back to what I knew. So I started bartending right away. I started delivering for this uh, dispensary based out of North Hollywood. And then uh, I got a brand job and I was working for a tequila company and bartending. And those were my two jobs. I was doing nothing in the soccer space, really. That had all kind of gone away. And I was doing very well financially. So I wasn't really thinking about that. Plus, coming out of the pandemic, I just wanted some sort of like structure. And I wanted to feel kind of get back into the flow of working on a normal sort of pace, a, a normal rate, not being cooped up in a house, playing Call of Duty all day. I was getting really tired of that, obviously. But so I kind of fell into that. And uh, there's this thing that I've been dealing with for a long time. I've had eczema my whole life. And it was a, a thing that I've dealt with. You know, people have allergies, people have eczema, psoriasis. It's an autoimmune condition. And it's just like an itch. A lot of people know it. It's pretty familiar. You get an itch and it becomes like a little bit of a rash. I would get on the back of my elbow or on the back of my knee, especially when I played soccer because you would sweat and you'd be around grass and stuff. Didn't really become an issue. They would give you these things called like corticosteroids. So it was like an ointment. If you've ever been to like, if you've ever been to Rite Aid and you go to the allergy section, they'll have like cortisone. That's a very small like dosage of a steroid, which is anti-inflammatory. So you put that on. And it calms down the rash. And then that's kind of the idea. So the problem is, is that with the steroids, the doctors, when they prescribe them to you, don't tell you that you can't take them every day. Uh, you can't take them for a really long period of time because what ends up happening is your body starts to get, um, build a, not only does it build a tolerance, but it starts to require it. Almost like when you think of like an alcoholic or when you think of other heavier drugs, when people start going through withdrawals because they need those drugs, that happens with, steroids at a very, very severe level. So didn't really have eczema problems for a long time. And then when I got into my thirties, it started to get a little bit worse. And so I started to go to the, I went to the dermatologist, started to get stronger and stronger ointments and I would apply them more frequently. And then during the pandemic, literally in the middle of the pandemic, I started to notice that I was getting really intense itching and then really weird. Like my skin was turning red and it was just getting super aggressive. It was it was a, a totally different feeling than eczema. Eczema was like a, an itch on the skin and then it would kind of go away. This was like bone deep, intense. I knew something else was different. And then it was covering like the majority of my body. It was this intense, like you would scratch to the point of causing, you would bleed and, and cause wounds that or your skin would start to ooze and stuff like that. And I was like, this is crazy. And I was going to the dermatologist and they were just prescribing me more and more of these steroids. So I was freaking out and I'm like, 
the steroids, I was putting them on. And if I, as soon as I stopped, I, I noticed as once I stopped, like, let's say I would put them on for a week, the day I stopped, it would come back 20 times worse. Then my like eyebrows started to fall off. Patches of hair started to fall off. My lymph nodes would get swollen. Like even right now, my lymph nodes are still really swollen, but it was terrifying. I was like, I, I, I didn't know what was happening. So then I started to do my research online and i came across a YouTube channel and it was this girl, she had this, uh, the title was topical steroid withdrawal. And I just like, and I saw her face, the way her skin looked, it looked very similar to mine. It was, a, it was a redness that was very, very similar to mine. And I just was like, it just, everything, just light bulbs just went off. And then she told me her story. Basically you become addicted to these medications through, you know, your doctor prescribes them. So that's essentially what happened to me. And it's kind of a epidemic right now, what's happening in dermatology. It's happened over the past eight to five years. We're starting to see this thing called TSW, topical steroid withdrawal. And like I mentioned, what it is, is once you stop taking the medication, your body goes into, it just goes crazy. First and foremost, I talked about the itch. Your skin starts to deteriorate. It turns into it doesn't even resemble skin. It's like wax and it just falls off and falls off and falls off and falls off. And it gets to the point where you, your skin falls off so frequently that it's all that's left is like the bottom layer of skin. It's literally pink. Like if you look at a burn victim and you see the pink part of the skin, that's what it looks like. I mean, your skin will ooze, it cracks, it bleeds nonstop. This is happening in the beginning when you're first going through topical steroid withdrawal, it happens nonstop to the point where you are. I mean, I was, when I decided to really like, stop taking any of the medication for the first month i was sleeping like 20 minutes and then waking up because the pain was unbearable i was uncomfortable i was my eyes were oozing my ears were oozing you, you get these like intense intense like pulsating pain all throughout your body it's it's just the most unbearable it's hell on earth basically it's it's unbearable you, you can't all you're doing is thinking like you're just trying to breathe and to survive you're not alive at that point. You're not doing, you can't do anything. You can't function. The first time I was going through that was actually 2020. And I went to my dermatologist and she says, no, you just have really bad eczema. So she gave me an oral steroid. gave me really intense topical steroids and I took them, got better right away. And then over the past year and a half, I was going back and forth and taking steroids, not taking steroids, taking steroids, thinking I could wean off and I just couldn't. So finally in September 28th, I said, I'm not taking anymore. And I had to quit my job my jobs, both of my jobs, uh, I had to move back home with my mom and then basically just go through the worst, most intense pain of my life. I mean, I can't describe how bad it is, you know, and what's terrifying is there's now a really big community where people are communicating and, and talking about it, which is amazing. And it's incredible to have all this information and people are, what's scary is healing isn't linear. So you go, you'll kind of go through this period of like intense oozing and bleeding and your skin crusts over and then it heals and you look good. And you're like, great. And then it'll happen again and it'll happen again. It'll happen again and again and again and again. So I've been through about like probably 15 periods of that. And each time it gets a little bit more tolerable. So now I'm to the point, I'm six months in to the point where my skin is becoming resilient now. I'm not in pain. You know, I have little flare-ups here and there. My skin isn't back to normal. Like I'm still missing a little bit of my eyebrow. You know, my hair isn't like, I still have a little bald spot here and stuff like that, but um, it's getting tolerable. I'm able to 
you know, I'm able to stay awake the whole day. I'm able to have a normal sort of functioning. I'm able to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning normally. I'm able to work out a little bit. I've been juggling with the ball in the back. So it's sort of this crazy process that you go through. But for a lot of people, the process is very long term. It's three years, two years. You know, when you think about you can't do anything for that for six months, it's crazy. But for two, three years, there's people that are, I mean, they they look, they'll go back to looking like normal. And then the following month, their whole face will look like it's burnt off, you know? So it's just scary because not a lot has been known about it. There's a lot of dermatologists that deny it. The dermatologist that I went to denied what I'm going through. So she kept trying to give me more and more medication. And after the third time I went to her, I tried to get on disability and she she denied me disability. That's how crazy this whole situation is, is because it's coming from doctors. It's coming from dermatologists that are giving you medication. It's not like I'm going out and getting like heroin or something or like doing any like weird, crazy, illegal drugs. These are drugs that are being prescribed to me by a professional and they're destroying lives. Like it's just happening at a high level. And anyone that you can go on YouTube and search up TSW and you'll see all these stories. And it's almost identical to what I'm saying in terms of doctors and dermatologists. There's so many that don't believe it's a thing. And what's so ironic about this now is like now you go on YouTube or you go on TV and every single medication that's coming out for eczema or for dermatitis or for all these illnesses, it's all non-steroids. And there's all extremely expensive. You know, there's these injections that are like $6,000 a month, $10,000 a month, and you need two for the rest of your life, you know? And it's like, it's just, it's insane. It's insane what's happening with this whole situation. So yeah, it's, I started to just kind of go a little bit on my Instagram, just kind of shed some light on it, let people in my inner circle know what's going on. People that I work with, I have kind of a broad spectrum of people that know me through like the liquor and alcohol world. And then of course through soccer, LAFC family. So I got it was really cool to get tons of messages from people because a lot of people didn't know. A lot of people have been taking steroids every day. And that's just really terrifying because you're just setting yourself up for potential disaster. Sounds like absolute torture what yeah, you man. went through. Yeah, and man. to uh, be able to yeah. take it to something like social media and yeah. speak about and and post, you know, let's be honest, some very graphic photos yeah, um, yeah. describing what you went through. I mean, that took an immense amount of courage. You know, at, at what point did you decide that this is something that you wanted to share and you wanted to be a spokesperson for to try and help other people who are going through the same thing? Making that decision to do that, I was kind of talking with my family and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm 38 years old. Going back and living with your parents is I haven't lived with my parents in, since I was 25. You know, it's been years. So that sort of thing is just we're trying to negotiate and trying to figure out how to handle that. And then financially. You know, you have to figure out how am I not going to work? How's that going to happen? And then on top of this, you're dealing with the physical, you know, everything. But for me, the, the point came when I went to the doctor and she denied me disability. I was just so frustrated. And I was just like, I think I just need to like talk about it and, and get it out there in some way. And I haven't been super active about it or anything like that, but I just needed some sort of release because it was, I was so frustrated and so obviously in a very, very dark place mentally because I mean, there's, it's a complete like pull of the rug. Your whole life is decimated. I'm the type of guy where like, I'm out and about all the time. I'm constantly doing things, constantly going to games, constantly like, and to be all of a sudden, everything goes away. Your social life goes away and you're just in a room now and you're trying to kill and you're only thinking about not 
like your body's eating itself alive and your whole train of thought just changes dramatically. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's wild. So that became a release for me and it became a means to communicate with, with people that I normally would communicate and see on a regular basis. Now I was able to communicate with them in a lot more and with the understanding of why I'm not out and about and why I'm not exactly what's going on, but also really explaining it and realizing that there's so many people that are, like I said, so many people reach out to me that are like, okay, I'm taking these medications too. I'm, I have psoriasis. I have eczema. This is a, a thing that a lot of people deal with. And a lot of people just don't have the awareness or the understanding. And so that was another thing that I didn't fully gather until I started getting a lot of messages. And I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. So for me, it was really good to also describe how healing is not nonlinear because what's funny is we can kind of segue into it is like September, like the first two weeks were pretty rough for me. And then I got really good and I was like, oh man, LAFC made the finals. <laughs> and I was, I looked great. I was like, I thought like, oh man, maybe it's just like a month and I'll be fine. So I was healthy enough and I was good enough to actually go to the MLS final. So, and then what's crazy is like two weeks after that, I got really bad and then you get healthy, then you get bad, then you get healthy, like I mentioned. But um, yeah, so it's, that was kind of the reason to talk to people and to spread awareness. I wasn't aware of the amount of uh, attention and people that were going to talk to me about it. And it's been very helpful. It's been very therapeutic. Just to the, the people that have reached out and the support, the kind words and everything, it's just been great, man. It's, it, it really keeps you afloat because you go to dark places, man. It's, when your body's doing that to itself and you're just trying to maintain mentally, it's very difficult to do on your own. So without family, without loved ones, it's, to me, it's impossible. You know, I don't know how people just do it on their own, but it's been, yeah, to have that sort of reaction has been great. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you have to look at it and you say that, you know, like you said, that the support group around you has to be so strong because I'm sure that there are going to be those really dark days where you are just so discouraged with your current situation in life. And, you know, so what what are some ways that that people on the outside that may not be experiencing this, what are ways that we could contribute to this and, and try and make people more aware and and just try and help get more people on board with TSW. So there's a link on my Instagram. There's a little foundation because there's a lot of people, like I said, this ruins, if you're not working remote from home, even if you are working remote, when you're flaring up, like if I have a flare up and it lasts for 30 minutes, a flare up feels like you have, you're having an anxiety attack mixed with pain, like extreme pain. So you have to go through that, like, you know, kind of ride the storm and when it's at its peak, you're having these 15, 20 times a day. So you're not able to function like a normal human being. So it decimates people's lives. And I'm lucky that I have family support. I have a roof over my head. My mom can cook for me. I have, you know, that's, it's, I'm so lucky, right? There's people that don't have that. So uh, there's a link on my Instagram. You'll see it. It's a, it's a website that's kind of a hub. It's called Itzen, but it's a hub for people. There's uh, people that have their Go, GoFundMes and things like that to help them. Uh, financially to help them just get by, pay rent. Yeah, man, it's been, even that like has been brutal for me because I was not able to get unemployment because you have to be, you have to technically be like physically able to accept work. So I've never received unemployment. And then I got denied disability because of my doctor. So that's my story. And I'm lucky that I have parents that I can, you know, I can go to their home and eat and, and sleep and, and have a normal life. 
but there's people that don't have that. So that story is very normal for a lot of people. So you can go on that site. You can check out people's stories, their testimonials. There's a couple of really, really good documentaries. One of them in particular, uh, it's called Skin on Fire. It's free. It's on YouTube. It'll tell you pretty much everything you need to know about this whole, uh, I don't know if you want to call it an illness. It's a withdrawal, really, is what I keep trying to explain to people. So the good thing is, the positive thing is, is that once you go through it, you don't like relapse unless you start taking steroids again. But I haven't taken steroids in six months. My body started to rebound. And so once it's done, once you're healed, you're healed and that's it. And everyone that has gone through it, that's the beauty in that. You see those testimonials and everyone that is sort of like you ride the storm and you go through it at the end, once you're done, you're done. You're not going back. You're not, you're not sick again. A lot of people completely don't have psoriasis anymore. A lot of people don't have eczema anymore. Most people still do, but at a very low level. So it just, that's kind of a big thing to, to keep an eye on. If, if you're going through this or if you're thinking about potentially, wow, I might be, I might be a candidate for this is that you heal, you heal. There is no if, ands or buts you heal. So that's a big thing, but yeah, that's kind of it. You know, just go and check out, check out those testimonials. If you're curious, uh, I will let you know that my pictures in terms of like how graphic they were on a scale of one to 10, they're about like a four. There are people that are, it's, it's a lot worse for them, especially people that put it on their face a lot. It gets really, really, really bad. So I, I consider myself lucky in the whole situation. I'm going to have an incredible support system and uh, there is always that light at the end of the tunnel. So it's just constantly thinking about that is, has been great. And then, uh, yeah, just watching that world cup and now watching LAFC has been pretty awesome. So, yeah. So let's transition a little bit and talk about, you know, soccer. You, you had also, you had mentioned at the beginning of the interview, but again, you know, if you go back and listen to, you know, this amazing, amazing career that you've had in and around sports and all the photo shoots and things like that. Talk to us about the 2022 MLS cup and the experience and what it meant for you being someone that had been in and around the game. Right. I still remember that very first interview that you gave when I was there for the galaxy LAFC match with the Zlatan, right. You and me were there in the parking lot and it was just a happenstance, <laughs> just a happenstance, right. That you asked me and a group of my friends, those questions. And here I was interviewing you later, but uh, you know, and then you came and worked for the club and things like that. So Tell us about the experience. Tell us about coming to the game, how you got tickets, where you sat, yeah. you know, all of that. And, and then, of course, where does it rank in terms of all of the other amazing experiences that you've had in and around the world of football? Yeah, I think first it's important to talk about what LAFC means to me and why it's so... I always think it's funny when I hear casuals say like, well, why does LAFC exist? Or why do people... Why are they so crazy about LAFC if Galaxy is there always? And for me, being born and raised in LA, I played soccer in Southern California my since I was like all the way up from five to like 18 years old. So it was just in my blood. It was just constantly a thing. I was lucky enough to work in soccer media, like I mentioned. And I always represented Los Angeles. And I always felt like in general, the sports media in general, always kind of like in LA a little bit. You know what I mean? It was always kind of this like, we were fair weather fans or there were celebrities or they didn't take us seriously. And to me, it's like, dude, you have no idea what, what is here. You know what I mean? When you would go to a Dodger game or you would go to like a Laker game back in the nineties, it was incredible passion. And then going to soccer games, you know, when Mexico would play at the Coliseum back in the day, you know, the passion is insane. So for me going to galaxy games, I never experienced that passion. It never caught my attention. It was just blase. It was boring. And I thought this is MLS, right? So when LAFC came, 
it was right at the peak of me doing all my stuff with kicks to the pitch. So I was every single day working on soccer in some sort of fashion. I was traveling to London, traveling to France, traveling all over the world to work on soccer and work with really big companies and brands and players and doing all these you know amazing stuff, right? So it was just perfect. And I started to pay attention to what they were doing. And when I noticed when they were reaching out, I'm talking like grassroots reaching out to supporters before supporters that were waking up at four in the morning to go to watch like Liverpool play at like the Fox and Hounds or reaching out to Chivas fans or reaching out to like, this is like, this has always existed in LA. We're a multicultural city. All of these, we've taken our cultures from everywhere and brought it here. It isn't like it just goes away. So LAFC meant so much to me and that it represented LA. It represented the LA that I understood that I grew up with and I knew the culture, the world city that it is. So when I got to work for LAFC and I got to represent them when we were in Leon, I mean, that was such an amazing experience. So to have that and to, to be a part of it and to see soccer grow in LA in my city is just beautiful. So when MLS Cup came around, I was really starting to heal up. And it was the week before. I have cousins in supporters groups. I worked at LAFC, so I know Pat, I know Rich. I talk to them all the time still. Uh, I know Ben, Ben Chi, who used to work for them also, of course. So uh, I reached out to my cousin. It was two days before the match, and I was, like, pretty good, you know? I did, I almost looked like this. Like, this is the best I've looked in a long time, but I almost basically looked like this. And I was like, I have to go to this game, you know? And I went, and it's the first time I had been to a game in I don't know how long. Um, it was just such a wild experience because mentally I was in such a rough place trying to piece my life together and, and get mentally ready for what was ahead of me. But for just a couple of hours, I was going to go to this game and I sat with my uncles. One of my uncles has, um, I think it's called ADA. He has a, like a, he has a heart condition. So he sits like where the, there's like a, uh, like a handicap section that's on the West side of the stadium. So like if the North end would be to the right of us, um, no, sorry, east side of the stadium. And we have, a, it's just like, we have a right underneath. Um, yeah, we're basically like, it was, it was decent seats. It was, it was good seats. I had a nice view, uh, three, two, five view to the right. I couldn't be in the mix because I didn't want to like ag aggravate anything. But there's certain games. I've been to really, really amazing games. I've been to Chivas America in Guadalajara. I've been to a Champions League final, uh, Juventus Real Madrid. I've been to Liverpool, Manchester United in Man United. I've been to Marseille, I've been to Paris, I've been, I've, I've been to, I've seen incredible games. This was, from beginning to end, it had a vibe, it had a, an energy that I just can't, ex there's certain things you can't explain. And it's just, and almost even like, this is going to sound weird or corny, but like there was like a haze or like a lighting that was just different to me. Like the sunlight was different that day. It was just, there was just something very, it was like meant to be that day, you know? So man, I mean, that was the, the best sporting event I've ever been to in my life. Not only like, I think even if I was just a casual fan, how insane the whole game was. I mean, the, the, the red card, Max breaking his leg, the, the back and forth goals, the, the free kicks. And it was John McCarthy who used to play for them and all just all the, all the weird little threads and, and everything that, that happened in that game. Yeah. It just, when, when Bale hit that, when Bale hit that, uh, that header, I mean, I just, I blacked out pretty much. <laughs> I don't know how you guys felt, but I, and I just went numb, you know, because it was just, 
Yeah, it was it was a lot of emotions, obviously. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was just unbelievable. That that was the best thing, best game I've ever experienced in my life. Um, when uh, Elliot scored that goal in the uh, in extra time, I, I really thought it was over. And then Bale scored, and my, I, you know, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack also, <laughs> just because of all the emotions going back and forth. And then the whole like playing, you know, Mondo playing Mana before the penalty kicks, and how it, that kind of just like chilled everyone out a bit people were dancing and then yeah and then the ending and it was just really cool so after the match everyone was celebrating i was hugging my uncles everyone's crying of course going crazy i'm like an emotional wreck and i was like i need to go see everybody so i just walked into the middle of the three two five two gave everyone everyone was hugging me we were just hugging and tears and hugs and just like kind of just watching the trophy ceremony and i just sat on the like the railing of the three two five two, like right dead center. I, I was wearing like a very like a high vis like highlighter beanie. So like in a lot of the pictures you can see me. I'm just like sitting there like just I was just quiet, just absorbing everything. Uh, yeah, seeing Carlos lift the trophy. Yeah, that was it was pretty awesome. I mean, it was just incredible, incredible game. I don't know what, what more I can say. It's, it's hard to even describe it. Uh, a day that most of us will never forget. So joyous that you got to take in that experience yeah. for all you had been through. But shortly thereafter, we come right out of an MLS Cup, and we've got the spectacle that is a Winter World Cup in Qatar. And brilliantly, you return to kicks to the pitch, and you start writing some articles about the World Cup. So what was it like to dive back into the writing side of things and cover the World Cup? And what were some of your favorite parts about this wild World Cup we had in the winter? You know, I was before the World Cup, I had a lot of mixed emotions. I think like a lot of us did because of everything that had been going on in Qatar. I tried to separate that and just, especially because at, during the World Cup was when I was at my worst. So I would literally, for certain games, I was up at like four in the morning and just like completely covered in like watching through like a, like a hoodie and just blankets uh, and just like that was my only joy, you know what I mean? So obviously there were so many amazing threads, uh, Morocco, Morocco doing well. And, you know, I'm not a big Messi fan, but Messi doing well was, he deserves it. You know what I mean? He's gone through how many, how many failures with Argentina and he deserved it. He fully deserved it. He played his ass off. He played well. He carried Argentina to me, he carried Argentina. And Argentina has always been, you know, a soccer crazy country. I have a lot of Argentinian friends and they, there's a, there's a unique a uniqueness in, in, to, to the to like the how, how do I put it? They're crazy on a different level, you know. What I mean, like there's crazy fans, but they're 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 different. <laughs> they're different, you know. what I mean, they're you know you have you have players from the national team getting tattoos of Messi on them. You know what I mean? Like that's like that's crazy. So it was really cool. And then I'm a big U.S. men's national team fan, so seeing the young talent come through. And I was really excited to see them because I'm not a big Burhalter guy, but I thought Musa and, and Tyler and McKinney really came through big. And I, I love seeing them do their thing, uh, especially against England, because England, I just felt like they were so arrogant and cocky. And uh, I just love the way we played against them. I was bummed out with the, with the Holland game. I support Mexico when I can. And it was just kind of weird to see them not advance. Uh, that's the first time it happened in my life. So it was really a trip to see that yeah there was just i mean it was a world cup the one thing i will say about the world cup is it was an incredible world cup there was a lot of upsets saudi arabia upset of argentina in the beginning morocco like i mentioned going crazy and then the world cup final a lot of times finals like how lucky are we to have that mls cup and that world cup within a couple months of each other i mean i would the whole the entire time i'm freaking out during the, the world cup the world cup final and i'm not french i'm not argentinian but i was still like i was still losing my mind you know it was 
unbelievable. So sometimes finals can be a little bit boring because there's a lot of like, it's almost like a, like a sparring session. Everyone's feeling each other out a little bit, but this, like in both of those games, we didn't get any of that. It was like just balls to the wall. It's exactly what you want a final to be. And then the level of play was so high. You know, France was just, I mean, the talent they have is absurd and Argentina did their thing, man. It was, it was beautiful to see. And I think they, in, in the end, I think Argentina fully deserved it. So just a beautiful World Cup in general. And it was weird to have it, you know, during the winter, but going through what I was going through, I was happy to have it. You know, I was just happy to get it. Uh, and then my buddy, Rich, uh, Rich Gordon, who uh, now is uh, part owner of Kicks to the Pitch. He was just sending me pictures of, he's like, Hey, here's the Brazil match. Here's the... Here's the uh, the Spain match that I covered. And I just got to see these beautiful, I was, obviously it's cool when you see the game, but when you're on the pitch and you're taking po- photos or when you're pitch side and you're like by the, I've been lucky enough to just like cover games that way also, like shooting matches and being on the sideline when you can hear coaches and stuff like that. And there's a different feeling in that because you feel the energy of the players. Like you really feel that. You see their sweat. You see how hard the tackles are. You really see how fast they are. You really see how high they jump. And I, I, I laugh sometimes because I'll, I'll be sitting there criticizing them. And I'm like, dude, there's no way I can do any of this. <laughs> there's no way. So it's it's a different level. And so you got to see that firsthand really, you know, high quality, beautiful imagery, uh, especially the final. You know, he's right there. Messi's holding the World Cup. And, I mean, he's like two feet away from him, you know. Uh, so it was just really cool to see those kind of you know, looking at it through his lens, you know, as corny as that is, but looking at it through his lens, literally, it was cool to kind of relive it. And then I, I just got to recap and write the way I write is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm not super, I, I wouldn't say like I'm an ESPN type of writer, like a stats guy, you know what I mean? I have that in my wheelhouse, but it was way more like free flowing, casual conversation, pretty much the way I speak, um, but without repeating myself, <laughs> but yeah, just, uh, it was fun to get and get that, that, dust that off and get that going again felt very natural to me of course i could talk about soccer forever as you guys probably can tell so it just felt very natural felt cool to go back to that so yeah it was was fun so if you were to start writing a series of articles on this current lafc team and you were to focus on a few things i would like to say performance the roster build the load management of a difficult season and our expectations what are some of the key points you would hit on and what are some of your reflections with regard to those particular thoughts around LAFC? Well, first I have to talk about our LAFC community because I get a little bit frustrated with a lot of uh, like pseudo journalists and a lot of, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm half Mexican, half Salvadorian. So we love our drama. And when it comes to soccer, when it comes to soccer, you know, the, part of the reason the Mexican national team isn't successful and anyone that follows the Mexican national team can, will agree, they might be a little bit upset, but they will totally agree, is that our media, it can be a bit cannibalistic and they love, love to be dramatic. And they love these hot takes. They love, you know, football picante and sin filtro. And it's always very dramatic and it's always like a novella. It's always very like, you know, and that can be good or bad. You know what I mean? It, it can be, it's very, obviously very entertaining and hilarious. But it can cause a lot of uh, drama and problems. And I see that crossing over into our LAFC community at times. To think that there was a time when people were saying John Thornton out, I'm just like, I I just want people to understand that MLS does not work like any other league in the world. Our roster restrictions, the guidelines of our transfer window is way different. 
Um, and and within just within that, and the, the the players' union also, right? Like, yeah, and then the right? players' union. Yeah, it, it, dude, it's it's insane that you can build a team that's good for two years. That's it's so difficult. I mean, look at the international break we just had, man. There was teams that were missing six players, dude. six starters. You know, Seattle had like, I think Seattle had six or seven. Atlanta, same thing. You know, it's it's and then it's just and they want us to have a high quality. So that a casual fan's going to check in and, and, and watch that and be like, wow, that's. But we we have, as fans, we have to take into consideration what that is and how hard you have to work to build a good squad and to have someone that's going to come here and be here long term. And so, I mean, for, for, first of all, John Thorington is the goat. There's no deny. There's period. You you can't argue that. There's just like you can't deny him. You can't say anything. And to me, when we had a we had a rough season. And that's going to happen. It's, like I said, it's just, you have to look at, you have to understand the way MLS is structured. It's very difficult, like I said, to have a dynasty, you know what I mean? And, and those teams that have done it, teams like Seattle, they've done an incredible job. It's, and even they, they, they didn't make the playoffs last year. You know, it's, it's going to happen. But I think John has done an incredible job. And one thing I need to kind of say about LFC as a entity, like as a whole is that people don't get to see is there is a, from front to back, there is a mindset. And there is energy from the people working at the ticket office to the people working in branded community like I was to the guys. I mean, look how beautiful our, you know, behind the sounds of LAFC. Even our, our the way our admin works on Twitter, he doesn't, he doesn't work like everyone else. He's not like this corny, goofy guy that's like making fun of us. It's not like that. It's everything is done with a purpose and everything is down to a T. Look at how awesome our marketing our, our posters are like last year we were doing all the video game posters and stuff like that i mean just just awesome i mean just brilliant and so no one else was doing that everyone else is doing like the typical cheesy mlse thing and we're, we weren't doing that and that needs to be looked at from the ground up that's how it is and no one else is doing that there's people that are trying to copy certainly but and then you look at our supporters i mean how are they still this good how are there eight or was it eight different groups or nine different groups how are there eight to nine we'll say we'll say eight different groups how are there eight different groups unified and how are they that amazing every single game 10 now sorry 10 how are there 10 different groups you know and i know there's going to be arguments and no one's going to agree on things at all times but for the better of the whole group you guys get done and how is it every single game it's amazing you guys sound amazing one of the beauties of having this like having the apple tv is i can watch like I watch an RSL game and I am depressed because it looks and it sounds like a high school game. And I'm like, oh my goodness, bro. Why would I want to go to that game? I would never want to go to Or Colorado. I'm like, God, I'm like, do something. You know what I mean? And every time I put an LAFC game, LAFC game on, if we're losing, if we're winning, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's that atmosphere that you want to hear. So it's it has to be said that as an organization, the supporters from front to back, they're just doing it right. And you know, there's, to me, there's a lot of people that are responsible for that. First of all, Rich, Richard Roscoe needs to get like all the praise in the world. Pat, Obligatory yes. LAFC Rich shout out. We're required one in an episode. It's in our contract. We love you. Dude, Rich. you have to understand like the way this man works. It's, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a different level. And it's just beautiful to be, even just to be around when I was working with him hand to hand. Um, I was with him at, like every day, like directly working under him and Pat. So I was with him a lot. Uh, and just the way he works and the, his mentality is so different. And you can see it. it, it it's a complete DNA of the team. Uh, and then Pat working with the supporters and the supporters 
going back and forth and having a relationship with the club is so rare, but it's necessary and it's beautiful. It's how it should be. That's, you should have that synergy. So yeah, that needs to be said first and foremost. <laughs> Sorry to go on a tangent, but that needs to be said. But uh, I'm really excited as far as the club is looking right now. Um, we've just done a great job. I think it's, 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 it can be really scary when you're looking at DPs and certain players that are not MLS proven. But outside of like Horta and Rodriguez, you know, he was, nah, we'll, we'll, call, we'll call that an L maybe. But he had some moments for us, you know. But uh, outside of those two, I feel like everyone else has been very good. And now that you have Bowanga and Tillman and, you know, you have um, Biuk who has, I mean, all the potential in the world and how they're slotting in and it's not really causing us damage. It's, in fact, we look, now we're able to, manipulate the lineup to where we're like oh we can kind of play with this a little as opposed to like we got to plug holes it's different to the point where i'm looking at this i'm looking at this season and i'm looking at you know we're playing vancouver and then we got to play austin i think we can win all these games i'm not worried about like load like load management or being tired i guess a little bit you know with the altitude that we had to deal with in um in colorado i think we kind of saw it a little bit but we still could have won that game and we should have won that game and I think we should easily beat Vancouver. Um, I have full faith in the team right now, and I, I I get mad that we're not that we're not winning. You know what I mean? I get it's 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 not a fear. There's no fear when we're playing now, as far as like the confidence that I feel. You know, I don't know how everyone else feels, but I feel very confident in this team. We're not letting a lot of goals in. We're getting a lot of shutouts, which is huge. And then I think we're starting to see. Guys like Mario, who I was really kind of back and forth with, he's to me, he's kind of come to the forefront. He's being more of a leader. I feel like he's really gotten comfortable. Obviously, Denny Bowanga, Ilie this season has been like, he's just, he's just unbelievable the way he can dictate the game and the pace and his long balls and the way he can kind of direct the match. And then we get to play with Sifu and Tillman. It's like, wow, what a, what a, what a privilege, right? And then, uh, you know, Opoku really started off well. He's kind of tapered off a little bit, but he's just got so much energy and he's constantly pressing that back line and causing problems. And he's just, he's the type of player that's just a nightmare to defend. Carlos is Carlos. He's, he's kind of tapered off a bit, but, you know, look, look what he did for us in the CCL. So I'm really, from the, the squad from front to back, I'm just stoked on, on them. I feel like we're not very weak anywhere. We, need, we obviously need a nine, you know, that's, that goes without saying, but that's going to come, you know, and we're still doing well considering um, our schedule. And uh, to me, when we are on, I've seen every team play. And I've seen St. Louis play really well, Minnesota play really well. I've seen Seattle. When we are playing at our best, I think we are above everyone considerably. I think we can beat any team 4-0, 5-0, no problem. I think if we would have played Seattle at home, I think we would have dusted them. But that pitch was horrendous. That's how I feel. I genuinely feel like that. So. Yeah, that kind of goes without saying about the squad. I, I'm pretty happy with them right now. You know, echoing your sentiments about John Thorrington, I mean, anyone who had any doubts in John <laughs> Thorrington's ability, every single time he has had to plug a hole from someone departing, we've improved. Improved. You know? yeah. I, I mean, you know, Raito leaves and, and you you know, we bring in Buanga. I mean, we'll we'll see what happens when we end up, you know, replacing Chicho Arango with that that next nine that comes in. But I have absolute confidence there. What Tillman's done in the midfield, 
what Stipe Buke has been able to do up top and how seamlessly he's fit into an attack with a very short amount of time to get into it. Sergi Palencia, who's looked phenomenal as a defense yeah. forward fullback, right? Um, I mean, every single, I mean, Killini, come on. Like <laughs> everything he's done has turned to gold. Uh, I know there's going to be that one signing in the future, of course, that's not going to work out and people are instantly going to turn on him. And I just wish we would <laughs> take moments like this and remember how many times he's got it right before we move on. But I, I couldn't agree with you more front to back. Uh, loving to see what way this team is going this year. You've been very, very generous with your time tonight. Um, we do have one final question for you. It's a question you've answered before, but the post-pandemic Drew, the Drew that has been through the horrific experiences and are now thankfully on the other side of it that you've been through. And we know that, you know, there'll be flare-ups. This battle's not over for you. But uh, now that you've seen some light at the end of the tunnel, both in the world opening back up and, and in your own personal triumph, Drew, what does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to you today? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty easy. I mean, I feel like I, I explained it throughout this entire conversation. But for me, LAFC, like I mentioned, was a representation of my city. And by it, just in saying that, it's like a family now. You know what I mean? It's it's literally, I went to a watch party with the Expos and it was just like being with homies. It was just, it was home. It was, it was home. I can't imagine when I go to a game again, you know what I mean? It's going to be the same things. It's on a bigger scale, you know, because I know people from everywhere. So it's not to sound like cool or anything, but that's just how we all know each other. You know what I mean? So it's, it is literally a, an extended family. And um, that emotion and that feeling I felt during the MLS cup, me supporting, like we'll, we'll call it, like I was supporting Real Madrid my whole life. I was able to go to a Champions League final and see them win. And that was an amazing feeling, but it didn't compare to what I felt that day you know, at, at the bank, at the boot, it was still at the bank at the time, but <laughs> what I felt that day, it wasn't comparable because it's what I grew up with. It's something I helped build something that I was in, not only influenced by, but something I helped influence as well. Uh, and something that, yeah, it's just different, man. It's just a whole different thing. So yeah, shoulder to shoulder is this, it's you, you guys, it's have, being able to have these conversations and feel very comfortable and open talking about whatever and having that one common sort of denominator in, What's beautiful about it is that like, I think it extends to all of us in the community on, on maybe more than, you know, some more than others, but as a whole, what LAFC has done for the league and what it's done for American soccer, it's a whole different thing now. You know what I mean? I've been to England where people are asking me about LAFC. I've been to Guadalajara where people are asking me about LAFC. If you go, go on YouTube and you look at, you know, people in london looking at reactions of our game and they're like oh they look at our they look at our supporters and they're like what is that like and it's just yeah it's really cool to see man Uh, i always say this i go back to this adage and i say one of my favorite times was like i was with the hot dog lady outside at the bank with her three sons right there they were i was getting a hot dog bought a gatorade and i was just hanging out talking with the kids and I go inside and I get in three, two, five, two, Magic Johnson grabs my shoulder and we take a picture. <laughs> I'm like, and I always say like, that is LA, right? It's like the hardworking blue collar, the immigrants, and then the glamour, right? The glitz and the glamour. It's all that. It's everything in between. Uh, and LAFC just represents that so well. And the shoulder to shoulder thing, I think, is just the family that we have. So yeah, man, that's that's pretty much it. We sincerely appreciate you coming on and sharing what I, I know is a difficult story to tell. And hopefully this resonates with someone and hopefully you haven't been all through this for naught, that that there's some good that can come out of this for 
for other people who have experienced the same thing as well too with you. Thank you for sharing that story with us. I hope, hope, hope that your soccer writing returns to the black and gold someday in the future and that job opportunity presents itself. Uh, hashtag hire Drew. Maybe that's Chris. <laughs> we got to get on that one next. There's some things in the works. I can't mention too much, but I've got some cool little side projects I'm working on my own. But yeah, man, if you guys, uh, my DMs are open. Uh, if there's any little opportunities or projects that people want to work on, happy to do to help out or to just talk about them yeah please reach out well, well we we DMs. personally we'll flood, we'll flood them bro we'll flood your dms <laughs> every day bro <laughs> i mean yeah, let I, me know, I believe guys. Let me this know. show exclusively got vince Larosa hired it had everything to do with us so um, <laughs> i think we could probably do the same for you my friend sounds good man i'm down <laughs> Folks, our guest today has been none other than Andrew Medina. You can give him a follow at Drew Near Post. There are underscores between each of those three words. Drew, thank you so much for coming and joining us and telling that story. We really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with today's opponent correspondent. This is Dan Smith. Coming live and direct, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us is our opponent correspondent this week. We're doubling down on Moon Tower Soccer. Folks, give our friends at Moon Tower Soccer a follow at Moon Town Soccer. Pretty easy one right there. Joining us today, both returning to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, none other than Landon Cottom and Jeremiah Bentley. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Hey, oh, thanks for having us again, guys. Yeah, this is going to be fun. We're looking forward to previewing this match. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I do think that as you know, these two clubs that are still in their infancy, we continue to go on and on. Uh, I do think that this is always going to be a very like um, a, a good rivalry, right? Not one of those like hated heated rivalries, but one of those ones where you just expect top quality football. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, if, if not like a true rivalry, I think at the very least, it's a game that's going to mean something to both teams. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we've we maybe talked about talked about this before, but I feel like there's like a lot of mutual respect for among the fan bases about being sort of poster children of Major League Soccer and having like the original clubs who nobody shows up for and have no and like have no passion for, kind of being angry about both like the way the thirty two fifty two and the Austin FC um supporters section show up. So I think we all we we bond through that too. Let's just hope that there's there was a little bit of animosity between the two supporter groups last season with the ticket allocation. Let's hope that hopefully this season that hopefully is hopefully we get through that for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and as long as they don't do their march to the match right through the 3252 tailgate again, I think you know if we could avoid those issues, uh we'll go back to being best of friends in the future. But Chris, why don't we go ahead and dive into the show? What do you got for us? Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to start it off as we normally do talk about your additions and subtractions. You know, Landon, we'll go to you. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the subtractions that you've had so far uh, in this offseason. A couple, couple key players that might be a little bit more noticeable than others. Uh, Jared Stroud, he was uh, transferred to St. Louis SC in the offseason. He obviously made a very prominent debut when he played for St. Louis uh, against Austin at the beginning of the season. Forward Danny Hosen, whose option was declined. For Washington Carranza, whose option they declined to buy uh, at the end of his loan. Uh, Ruben Gabrielson was transferred to Lielstrom in Norway. And then you've got two players currently on loan. Musa uh, Gite is loaned out to AC Ajaccio until June of 2023. And Johan Romana is loaned out to Club Olympia till December of 2023. So talk to us about those players and what are some of the roles that they had vacated and, and areas that you wanted to make sure you filled. Yeah, I mean, just a, a quick note on Jared Stroud. He 
barely played for Austin last year and was a guy just like, didn't seem like he was ever going to fit into that system. But we, we'd said many times, like, I think he can play for the right MLS team. And he's shown that by going to like a high pressing, like all we care about is 50 fifties and winning the ball in the right spot. Like that's how Jared Stroud plays. And he's doing really well for St. Louis, but he was never really going to fit into this team. And so uh, not Austin is not really missing him for the way that they were, were hoping to use him. But I think the biggest loss for Austin is Ruben Gabrielson. He ended up leaving um, mainly due to just some, like some family issues and needed to go back closer to home. Uh, so he's really the biggest miss. Uh, Musa Jite ended up starting some games towards the end of the season, but we brought in Jossie Zardes to kind of fill that spot and still have Maxi Ruti, who started most of our games last year. But yeah, Ruben Gabrielson is really the biggest hole that needed filling. Now I'm curious, how did the Austin fans feel when Jared Stroud did score that goal in the opening day and there was that look-like back communication where he's calling for oh, the man. ball and... <laughs> Uh, not just not just fans, but players. We've heard through the grapevine that players maybe have a, a little bit of a target on him now because he absolutely called for the ball. And if like if you do that in just a random game, okay, it's it's like unsportsmanlike, but whatever. But to do it to like a guy who is your friend and your teammate not long ago, like it's a little bit cold. And so I think the the players might be targeting him a little bit on the the return leg of that tie. I think it was on extra time where they were talking about it. And one of the guys who plays in an adult league was like instant two foot tackle next whistle. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going straight into that guy. If he pulls that kind of, you know, Bush league stuff on me. And I, I have to say it was salacious for those of us on the outside watching <laughs> hilarious, but I could only imagine the reaction inside was not positive. Yeah. Kip Keller, the guy who passed it to him uh, has only played one game for the first team since then he's now been starting for the second team i think maybe to build up some confidence but we might not see him for the first team for a while so in addition to those subtractions we also have some additions you got two players from seattle uh, this offseason alfonso campo chavez and will bruin obviously jossie's artist came from colorado on a free and then there was a transfer a 1.8 million dollar transfer for leo by Senin, and then there was also a five hundred thousand dollar GAM purchase from Houston, Adam Lundquist. Now, uh, I'm also curious to know, you know, is this being a player from a rivalry in state type of thing? Like we make a big deal when any player or general or assistant general manager goes from LAFC to the Galaxy. You know, is how does that feel for you guys to having a player that once played for Houston? It's pretty funny to like find interviews with these guys either before or after. And to hear them talk about it, just because it's like, I think it's fun for us because generally it's like, I didn't want to be there anymore. And I was glad to find a way out. And you hear like, you guys have Ryan Hollingshead. You hear interviews with him talking about leaving Dallas and like wanting to get out of Dallas. They're essentially like finding every way to phrase it to be like, I did not want to be there anymore. I'm so glad to be out now. And that's kind of been the tone of, of a lot of the guys who have done that, including Lundquist. And so I think maybe if we're on the other side of it, we might feel differently about it, but it seems like the guys are happy to be here. So we're, we're fine with that. Uh, Lundqvist has kind of played um, kind of a bit role so far. He's maybe started one or two games, but mostly has, has come in at the end, if at all. Uh, Leo Weissenden, the center back, he was the Ruben Gabrielson replacement. He's very good. Uh, really good, especially on the ball. Um, I think he, fills most of the defensive hole that Gabrielson left, but is 
very much an asset going forward with his just calmness on the ball, ability to play passes really well. And then uh, who else did we mention here? You, you mentioned Ocampo Chavez. He's he's seems like he's mostly going to be playing with the second team, so I don't think he'll get a lot of time with the first team. Bruin as well is kind of like the third striker, like trash can time. We need a tall man to go in at the end of the game when we're chasing a goal. So I think the biggest addition is is Leo Weissenden and then Jossi Zardes as well coming in. He hasn't um, produced that much yet, but has had some games where – He's kind of done all the right things and just wasn't able to get onto it. And then other games where he hadn't done that much at all. Yeah, I think he was, you know, by far the biggest, maybe the highest profile player that Austin has had just in terms of name recognition. Um, and the guy that comes with like a lot of preconceived notions, both good and bad. I would say depending upon whether you're like a US MNT fan or a Columbus fan or whatever. So it's been interesting to see like the general fan base reaction to him. We had him on the show um, right before the season started. He's like a delightful human for sure. Like he's just a great person. He's super into music. We we're talking about Lance's guitar um, being on the background. Like he's like played music since he was, since he was a kid, right? Landon? Yeah. Yeah. He said he's got his kids DJing and stuff now, but yeah, he's, he's a very easy guy to root for, but it would make it even easier if he'd score. If he'd score. Maybe. Yeah. That'd probably be good. <laughs> And then what about Jossie's artist? You know, talk to us a little bit about what you think that his role is going to be. And, you know, he's kind of hopped around in the last couple of years and it seems like, you know, he's looking to find a home again. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a guy who his best season ever came in Burhalter's system in Columbus. Um, and like it seemed like it was going to be a good fit. And like we said, he's had a couple of really good games where he's been in all the right spots, been that close to scoring a couple of goals and just hadn't done it. And then the last few games, Austin's hit a little bit of a skid where we're not even really getting shots off. And so it's one of those things that's like on paper, it seems like it should work. Austin is also kind of shaking up their attacking shape a little bit. So maybe that has something to do with it, but the offense has really not been ticking the last couple of games. So let's go ahead and advance the conversation to this season. And Jeremiah, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the current form for Austin FC. Currently sitting 7th place in the West, 15th in the Shield. Two wins, two losses, and a draw. You beat both Montreal and RSL in the first two weeks of the game. And then it kind of feels like you hit the CCL wall, so to speak. Uh, The epic crash out versus Violet. Our condolences there. That was was rough to watch uh, as an MLS fan there. Since then, we've got losses to St. Louis and Houston. It uh, seems like everybody's been losing to St. Louis of late. And then uh, a draw in what was a well-fought game versus FC Dallas. So what are your personal thoughts on it? And how are the fans reacting to the performance so far this year? Well, I feel like that was the kindest description of the CCL performance. Anybody who's ever uh, kind of hit a wall? <laughs> There's like chaos and anger and lots of other things, like is generally how the uh, Austin FC fan base. So I think when we talk about how Austin's doing and overall and like at Austin's doing in the league, like those have become two very different conversations, right? Cause like you said, Austin's seventh in the West, uh, one fewer match. A lot of the teams above them, like they're, they're in decent, you know, form in terms of like wins and losses and playoff position. But I feel like the Violet thing is just like the shadow that's going to hang over the season. Certainly for the early part of the season. Uh, I think Austin fans are super disappointed with the last outing. We look at Colorado. Austin's, Playing Colorado at home, Colorado currently the wooden spoon leaders, right? One goal had just like lost their designated player to an Achilles injury tear right before then. So I think a lot of us were like, well, surely we'll pick up three. Like if we're going to pick up three points at any point in time, we have to pick up three points here. 
and that did, that did not happen. Uh, and Austin did not look not look great. So points wise, I think Austin's one point off where Austin was in 2022 at the same point in time in terms of number of games. But Austin also had piled up, like, I think, like 15 goals in the first three matches in 22, and it scored six in five matches in 23. So the, the vibe is very different. And I think what I think I said, what I don't, I'm not an alarmist, but I'm starting to feel alarmed. It's <laughs> how I feel about how Austin's doing so far. Landon, would you say that that resonates with the fan base as well, too? Because if you look at it on paper, you guys are certainly not in a poor spot in the table. And there's plenty of season left to make up this ground. But it does seem like there's a dark cloud with regards to rhetoric hanging over the team right now. Yeah, I I think Jeremiah was right on saying just like the vibe is off. Because like had if, if we had this number of points and we had gotten those points a different kind of way in some of these games, then maybe the vibe would be different. If the CCL thing didn't happen, the vibe would be different. But we've like a couple of the games we've, we scored a couple of bangers in one of them. And that was the difference in one of them. We had a a goal scored in like the 80 something minute by a substitute. And that was the difference against Colorado. I think we had seven shots total in the whole game. And so it's, Austin has kind of kind of created a a reputation last season of being an attacking team, a team that scored a lot of goals. And we have not looked like that team this year. And I think I think there's a, a few things going on. And there is there is still lots of time to fix it. But like I said, because of how we've gotten to this point, I think the fans are a little bit concerned right now. So looking back historically in the matchups versus LAFC. You ended up winning both of the regular season clashes last year. And then, of course, LAFC winning in the playoffs. So with regards to this upcoming match, what are the matchups that you have circled? What are the specific battles on the pitch that Austin needs to win if they're going to go home with points this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think a big one in Austin's last few games has been the center backs. So we lost Julio Cascante to... I think he's like an eight-week minimum injury, so we still have several games without him. Then Leo Weissenden was out on international duty, so we started Alex Ring and Nick Lima as our starting center backs last week. Uh, and so that's going to be an interesting one. Weissenden should be back. will likely still be partnered with Alex Ring. So Alex Ring has done an admirable job, actually, but um, if we get to set pieces a point where they get pinned back into the box, he's not going to be able to win the same kind of balls that Julio Cascante would be able to. And so that's a concern. Uh, We also have struggled in the midfield lately. Owen Wolf has had a really good season so far. He was also out on international duty last week, and we've been playing Johan Valencia, who actually played a pretty good game on the the game in LA in May last year where Austin won 2-1, I believe. Valencia had a pretty good game, but... um, so I, we're thinking Owen Wolf will likely slot back into that, but um, it, it, it's potential. We could see Valencia slide in just because he's a bit more defensive-minded player, but Owen Wolf definitely offers a lot more going forward. And I think another question mark is Diego Fagundes. He's not been starting games lately, has been in kind of poor form and kind of seems to be in Josh Wolf's doghouse. They've made some public comments as to as much like saying like, something's going on and they're both acknowledging that something's going on and that it needs to get fixed. So there are some question marks in this team right now, which I think is also 
feeding into the the bad vibes that we were talking about before. Jeremiah, I'm curious. I, uh, you know, we look at this roster right now, and we've touched on a couple of them here. But you know, for those of us that are may not be the most knowledgeable about the lineup, you know, you've got your three designated players: Ring, Drusi, and Rigoni. Obviously, you've got your standout goalkeeper in Stuver, and you know, Lennon just talked about. Diego Fagundes, Max Arruti is uh, another one that is a well-known player on this squad. Both, by the way, Diego Fagundes and Max Arruti are the current leading scorers when it comes to this LAFC versus Austin FC matchup. Max Arruti has two goals and uh, Diego Fagundes has three. But talk to us a little bit about these players and some of the lesser-known potential role players that might be impactful this upcoming weekend. Yeah, I think the guy to look out for that's not on that that list of players is uh, John Gallagher, who's a career utility player and I think we thought might be a starting left back or right back this year but instead uh, is currently the the league scorer for Austin FC playing sort of this fullback wingback kind of position scoring from distance so he's got three of Austin's what six goals this year so far Um, from from John and he was weirdly Atlanta United's leading scorer a few years ago with four. So apparently he's really good at succeeding, you know, teams that are not very uh, successful on offense. So like John Gallagher clearly like plays played a strong role in the offense this year. I think as far as the designated players go, like Sebastian Driussi is, you know, he's second leading MVP candidate last year. He's also a little bit of a slow start this year. Um, a little bit, a little bit of that because like he and Jesse Zardes haven't sort of figured out how to occupy space together in a really effective way. So I think Austin fans hope that that will, that will continue to happen. Um, and Rigoni continues to create a lot of chances, but has not come through with a goal or an assist. And I think there's a lot of people getting very frustrated with him so far. And then Alex Ring's been a bit of a silly player because he's played a six in 2021, played a little bit of an eight last year. And now he's playing center back for Austin FC, which I don't think anybody expected to see. And like, he's working hard and clearing chances to the line, but he's, you know, he's sort of limited. It's not his best position with what he's playing right now, but for at least this LAFC match, I think we'll continue to see ring there. But I'd say like out of the names, like John Gallagher is the guy to look for. Another name I would add to that is Danny Pereira. He's a guy who's like maybe not the best name recognition in the league, but as far as how like players that make Austin FC tick, Danny Pereira is a guy who's stepped up I think he's stepped up a level this year, shown pretty brightly at times the last couple of years, but uh, seems to be on like a pretty strong trajectory. If Danny Pereira plays well, Austin FC has a much better chance of of succeeding. Gentlemen, before we let you go tonight, if you could East give us your prediction for this weekend's game, and if you could follow that up with a prediction for Austin's season, not only in the MLS, but in the side competitions as well too, where do you think the team's going to put their focus? And do you think this team has what it takes to go all the way to their first cup? Jonathan, this is MLS. Don't you know it's dumb to make predictions? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think, yeah, I mean, this weekend, as far as predicting about the game, like Austin is not in good form right now, but I think this is a game that they'll be up for. They showed last year that they were up for these big games on the road, especially. So I could see him coming in and and with LAFC playing midweek game, having another midweek game next week maybe not being as focused on it. Maybe we can come in and steal one. But as far as form goes, like I'm I'm not putting money on Austin to win this one, honestly. Yeah, I think if you add like long term, I, I think Austin's probably around I think Austin's like a fifth to seventh place team in the Western Conference this year. I think feel like they probably were 
last year and just in terms of overall talent and they and happened we happened to get a little, little bit lucky and get results that we probably overperformed expectations and obviously Drew UC had an amazing season last year I don't think anybody saw it coming I think competition wise obviously CONCACAF Champions League is probably not going to be Austin's greatest chance for success <laughs> this is sort of a disaster um I'm super excited to see what happens with the competition between um MLS and League of like I would like to see um, a focus on that. I mean, U.S. Open Cup is whatever it is, but I think there's a really good chance for for all the clubs in MLS to really prove themselves against Liga Mekis, like in, in in that competition. I was excited to see like the league shut down and and both of these leagues be on an even playing field for a month when you know somebody's not in midseason form and somebody's in preseason form. Oh, well, you heard it here first. Austin going all in on the league's cup, going to be hoisting <laughs> that trophy. I love to hear it. <laughs> Folks, um, thank you guys, gentlemen, both for joining us. Our guests this week have been Landon Cottom and Jeremiah Bentley. You can follow them at Moontown Soccer to catch up on all things Los Verde and the Austin FC. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, folks. We are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the final segment of today's show. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, Chris. We've had a chance to get all geared up for this upcoming match versus FC Broccoli. Now, I know we we kind of had the kid gloves on when we were speaking to our friends from Moon Tower Soccer, but now it's time, the curtain drawn, to go ahead and give our predictions. And, and I'm just going to boldly storm out the gate here and say that we should absolutely destroy this team. Austin is in woeful form at the moment, and even though we're on the road, I just don't feel like Austin has any near what it takes to stand up to the black and gold. They might get a goal. I'll give them a consulary goal, but I think this is going to be a 3-1 drubbing by the black and gold. My friend? I don't think it's going to be that far of a scoreline. I think it's going to be a little bit closer. I think that Austin always is uh, looking to play LAFC tough, regardless of where they're sitting. I think that it's going to be a... 2-1 score line. One goal sets it apart. Obviously, I think that LAFC is going to walk out here with a victory, but uh I think that it's also going to be indicative, right, of how we play on Wednesday versus Vancouver, right? We have the match, the the Conca Champions League in Vancouver against BC uh, at BC Palace and uh you know that the the artificial turf, the travel, things like that. And I think that it's going to be important for LAFC to come out and make a statement. And depending on how that match on Wednesday plays out, should LAFC tie or, God forbid, LAFC lose? That is drastically going to set the tone for who's available the following match on the on the second leg against Vancouver. If LAFC is now gearing their sights and looking beyond Austin based on the results in Vancouver, we could see a totally different lineup. We could see a few more reserve type players or players that are not necessarily in our starting 11 because we want to make sure that we have the most powerful lineup that we potentially could have on the return match here in Los Angeles on the 11th of April. Solid point. Uh, Monday at time of recording the show, the show probably won't get edited and published till Wednesday or Thursday of this week. So the Vancouver game might have already happened at the point in which you are now listening to this show. But I, I think on the road with, against Vancouver, you got to try and play for a one nil victory. You can't go all out up there because you have Austin on the weekend, which is 
you know, a big game in the standings in the West there. You have the second leg of the CCL where we're going to be throwing everything in the kitchen sink at Vancouver, depending on how performance goes this Wednesday. And oh, by the way, next weekend, none other than the Carson Galaxy. So as we prepare for a second and home leg of a CCL in the same week as our Derby game, you're going to have to be resting somebody. And so there's got to be some squad rotation versus Austin, right? Who are you benching, my friend? Who are you bringing up in this game? I think that depending on how the match goes in Vancouver on the first leg, I think the second leg might be a good opportunity to see uh, Matty Bogues. Uh, That might be an opportunity for him to get, uh, you know, a little bit of the less pressure, especially if it's the best case scenario and we get the victory against Vancouver, which by the way, they're not playing well right now. So all, all, all. Actually, I think, I think they just won five, nothing in their last game. Uh, having had a pretty woeful season up until that point, if memory serves correct, and I'm totally going out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure Vancouver in their last MLS game put an absolute trounce in on somebody. No, I mean, so yes, in the last game they won, but it it was against the CF Montreal, right? So it's a it's a rival in the north. It's uh, and Montreal's not. I mean, Montreal is definitely not uh, a, a weak team. When you look at oh, no, they're Montreal. terrible. It's okay. You could come right out and say it. Montreal's pretty terrible. Um, and, and I think that scoreline proved it as much. Um, yeah. But it's either way, you want to look at things. And I, I mean, Vancouver took 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 a, an opportunity on a team that's a rival for them in, in Canada. I just want to point out it was five nothing, by the way. It was I five was right. I was it, right. I, Hey, that's MLS season pass is doing you good. I'm just saying you didn't acknowledge me. All right. As a millennial, I need acknowledgement. You're not a millennial. Shh, I'm a millennial at heart. <laughs> you're a you're a you're a Gen Xer. Am I? I don't I don't really know where I fall. I feel like I kind of fall between the two. I don't know. You're like it's... a cusper. Yeah. My birthday's a cusp in like the whole astrological sign thing. I just, you know, I, I don't fit in in any world. I guess I just lie on the fringes in between in all things. I suppose that's, you that's know, part you just, of the course. You just pick and choose when it's convenient for you to be one or the other. That, that, that sounds great. I'm all for that. I will be the um, uh, the Matt Doyle uh, of, of, of this world, right? Oh, I'll just pick and choose gosh. when I want to be right. If I just stay in both sides, I can be both right and wrong at the same time. And then I'm always right, right? That's 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 the Matt Doyleism of it. I, uh, uh, anyways, so I think that I think that uh, it it's definitely going to be one of those things where right now, right? Like I still am firm in saying that I don't think that Vancouver's playing very well, right? Like, yes, they got a five nil victory against the worst team in the league right now, but you know, you look at where Montreal was last season, you know, that it's hard to, it's hard to see what, what, what Mon- what's going on with Montreal too. But if LAFC comes out and wins against Vancouver and there's not as much pressure on the home match. Matty Bogues could potentially get the start, and we see some other players, Ilya, get the... Having the midfield is extremely important, especially when you look at the Galaxy and what they have in their midfield. That That is where the winner is going to get. It's, it's, it's by possession in that midfield. So we need to make sure that we have Tillman and Ilya and either Sifu or Acosta, right? Like those... those we need to have those three of those four 
playing for sure when it comes to the Galaxy game. So, you know, I don't care who has to necessarily sit or maybe we pull up players like Eric Duenas, who's been playing for LAFC too, and he's been playing in the midfield and I feel like he's been doing quite well. You know, those might be opportunities for players like that. So I'm probably playing Sifu versus Austin and playing Sifu versus Carson and resting him in both legs of the CCL. I would say is is my guess, but uh, I could be wrong. Could be wrong. We shall see. You know, it, it's also it's also something to say too. How does Ilya? How has his experience been playing in Vancouver on that artificial turf? Right. Some of these players that have been in the league for a long time, maybe they're players that just are not ones that do well, right? And um, especially, you know, I mean. Ilya being as good as he is, you know, he is getting up there in age and who knows how that wear and tear might affect your body differently than if you're a little bit of a younger player. So those might also be things to consider. I think what we end up seeing is a rotation in both games. One player is going to get 60 minutes. The other player is going to get 20 to 30 minutes and that'll probably flip flop in the games. And we'll likely see, you know, all the substitutions that are going to be used in both games, playing in both games. It'll just be that 60, 70, 30 20 split that dolo has shown he likes to do and and you know what i i do want to back off on montreal just just heaping on them just just a little bit because they at least have one win this year which is more than we can say for colorado kansas city and of course the galaxy so if we're talking about worst team in the league uh, i'll put montreal slightly above that i suppose uh, that that honor belongs to Colorado Sporting Kansas City and the Galaxy right now. I'm okay with that. I'm I, you know I'm I'm okay with the Galaxy being in contention for last place. Yeah, yeah. If they win the wooden spoon this year, I would be perfectly fine with that. I know you tend to be that person that likes it when they're better. That way, the rivalry has a little bit more fighting vinegar to it but uh if they were to take the spoon this year and continue to not get handball calls and we get to watch vanny freak out at his post-game conferences about it that would be just fine with me you know what i i think that the personnel on the galaxy is also what drives the motivation to want to see like when zlatan was here it was like a villain you could hate that guy right like when you look at the the marquee players that the Galaxy have, like, you know, I'm not, I don't hate Chicharito. I'm just really annoyed by him, right? Like, that's, that to me is, you know, it's like with Zlatan, you hated him, right? But with Chicharito, you're just like, I, dude, I'm really annoyed by you. I can't stand your voice. I can't stand your tactics. I can't stand your antics. Like, it's, I just. His wardrobe, pick a shirt, buddy. All right. Don't wear a shirt that's two shirts in one shirt. Pick a shirt. <laughs> anyways i digress i think that we're going to do well i think that we're going to play well against vancouver i think we're going to play well against austin and i think that we are going to be in the driver's seat for next week and that's going to be an important match right because we made a big deal about steve Turundolo getting the win in in carson last year he didn't do it he had two opportunities he one was the u.s open cup one was the regular season it didn't happen uh you know and and even though this is the first of two away games, the other away game is at the Rose Bowl on 4th of July. So this is really, again, it's just delaying this monkey off of our back. There is going to be a lot 
of importance behind it, whether it's created by us in the LAFC community or whatnot. But the fact is, is that as long as we don't get this win in Carson, the Galaxy are going to have something that they can hold over our heads. You're right. Massive importance on it. More on that on next week's show. As we are dangerously close to the brick wall that is the two-hour mark on this episode, I think it's time we go ahead and call it quits. We'd like to thank you all if you are still listening. Bravo for making it through the entire episode. We appreciate you. Feel feel the love that we're sending out to you, listener, right now if you've made it to this point in the show. We love and appreciate you. And if you want to be a guest on this show and come and tell us your black and gold story, please reach out to at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. On behalf of today's guests, Andrew Medina, our opponent correspondents, the folks from Moontown Soccer, both Landon and Jeremiah, and of course, Chris, Christian, the legend, sound engineer, Wilton, and myself. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's show. We'll catch you next week. Take us home, Sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.